0: Good morning. I'd like to uh, just get into the word at this time as we normally do. Um, And uh, last week we started a new series of messages entitled uh, How to walk in the miracle of the new creation. And if you haven't got an outline in your hand, just uh, raise up your hand and wave it around a little. And uh, keep your hand up and somebody's going to get you one. I'd like to carry on where we left off last week. And uh, I really do believe that uh, when we're discussing uh, the new creation, we're discussing one on one Christianity. Uh, these are the very basics, um, and we need to lay hold of the basics before we can advance to the more advanced truths. And uh, sometimes people sort of try to get into things way down the track and they haven't got the, the basics in place. And so, uh, just good to go over some of these things again. For some of you, it's like you've heard this stuff before, but it's good to be reminded of it again. Others of you like, oh, I had not seen this before, I had not heard this before. But whatever it is, let's allow God to speak to us this morning. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we once again commit this time to you, Lord, as we have... Uh, together here to worship you this morning and to acknowledge you as uh, as our heavenly father to Lord, to magnify Jesus Christ in our midst, who is our Lord and our Saviour. And at this time, Lord, as we approach the reading of the Word and the proclamation of the Scriptures, we ask, God, that you give us insight and revelation and show us things that we've never seen before. And help us, Lord, to lay solid foundations uh, uh, from your Word into our lives so that we can grow and advance, uh, Lord, to become more effective in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. The subtitle of tonight's message is, uh, this morning's message I should say, uh, says we have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, we should say we can only, we can only be made right with God through Jesus Christ. It never ceases to amaze me how uh, many Christians are struggling and trying to get God to accept them, trying to god's favor um, and uh and which tells me that the very basics that we're discussing at this time people have never grasped have never laid a hold of may have hurt them it may be information but it's never become revelation in their heart and so, with that, I want to pick up again on our theme scripture here in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen. It says, "Anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation." Say, "New creation!" Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. It says, "The old is gone, and the new has come." So, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us here that we are a new creation the moment we receive. Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior, we become what the Bible calls being born again, born in our spirit, and we become a brand new creation, Uh, not a kind of a rehashed, not a kind of a patch-up job, as it were, but a brand new creation on the inside. It says the old is gone, the old identity is gone, sometimes uh, people talk about their their past and, and almost relishing in their past before they got saved but you know that was a different person if you're born again today you passed, and sometimes we talk about ourselves that was a different person because the old identity is gone and not only that but the bible tells us the record of sin that was against us has been nailed to the cross the old is gone and the new has come our new identity has come we are carrying on the inside of us a brand new spirit the eternal part of us um and uh so that's right the the new creation in our spirit has been achieved (coughs) excuse me so i'd like to jump a few verses now from verse 17 into verse 21 And uh, verse 21 kind of is a carry-on from verse 17, and uh, we haven't got time to get into all the details in in, in between those two verses there, but there's a whole lot of good stuff in there as well. But let me pick up here from verse 21. It says, Christ didn't have any sin. In fact, I want to look at this verse here. In fact, we're not going to get all that far today. I'm not planning to cover of the ground and just rush on. I just want to go a little deeper than drill down just a bit more. Uh, I want to look at this same verse here, verse 21, in three or four different translations. And each translation brings out a slightly different facet of truth that is there and uses slightly different wording. And sometimes I find if I can't get it out of one translation, I read it in another, and suddenly, you know, the penny drops, and suddenly the revelation comes so I'm going to take my time so don't expect to rush anywhere in a hurry uh, in terms of powering on we're just going to go slow (laughs) it says Christ didn't have any sin but God made him to be sin for us so that we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us my friend if you were born again you and I we are not right with God because of what we have done we're right with God because of what Christ has done. Now, of course, that does not exempt us from living right. But ultimately, we're right with God because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. And you know, the, 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 the in the way things work the other way around, people are always like having to earn their right and having to earn favor with people. And and much of it is performance-based. If you perform well, people will accept you uh, if you do the right thing, people will like you and and so forth. But when it comes to God, we are not accepted by Him. We are not made right with Him because of what we have done. We are made right with Him because of what He has done. There's like a, a total shift. And sometimes it takes people a while to sort of link into it and to click into it. And sometimes people never fully do. See, the biggest transaction or the biggest exchange of all times took place when Jesus Christ died on the cross. People talk about the foreign exchange. You know, they got the various indexes there and just all the trading that goes on. And they talk about, oh, today so much money has been you know, exchanged and, and this and that. But, friend, the biggest exchange of all times, without a doubt, is when Jesus Christ died on the cross. God took all the sins of mankind and laid them on Jesus. Now this is this is basic. <laughs> okay, this is like this is ground zero as far as Christianity before we can build up on anything to go on to anything. We've got to lay down these foundations. So God laid all the sins of mankind on Jesus. So Jesus not only carried our sin, as in, carried the burden of our sin, but God went a step further. God actually made Jesus Christ to be sin. It's amazing. God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus Christ on the cross was sin personified. became the epitome of sin. And yet he's the son of God. And sometimes at this point, uh, I'm reminded of when Moses was in the wilderness, leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, on through the wilderness, and trying to get him into the promised land. And uh, when the people played up and got into trouble and, Snakes came into the camp and started to bite people. And, of course, they were deadly snakes. And, and, and people started to die everywhere. And they came to Moses. Oh, Moses, Moses, help us. And because Moses prayed to God. And God says, all right, Moses, this is what you're going to do. Take yourself a long stick somewhere. Make yourself a, a what the Bible calls a fiery serpent or bronze serpent. Um, by the way, bronze in the Old Testament speaks of judgment. Uh, there's kind of, a, you know, different metals are used for different things. And there's different meanings attached to different materials that they used to use uh, in the Old Testament. And, and God says, and then take that, uh, that long stick and put, put that bronze serpent on the stick and lift it up like really high. And here's, here's Moses running around with a stick with a snake on top of it in the wilderness, <laughs> like running around. And the Bible says that, in fact, God says, he says, and anybody that gets bitten by any snake, if they look to that bronze serpent, they shall live. Just looking. Then if to do anything else, just look. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like they didn't get any injections, they didn't have any operations. They just, just look to the bronze serpent. And you're gonna live. If you don't look, you're gonna die. But if you look, wherever you are in the camp, just look, look where the bronze serpent is, and you shall live. And Jesus referred to himself, and he says, he says, in the same way, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he says, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, referring to himself. So Jesus compared himself and the crucifixion that he was about to face, and they nailed him to a stick called the cross and lifted him up, Jesus compared himself with the snake that was on that uh, on that pole that Moses had to hold up like really high. And you know, <laughs> snakes are horrible things. I just never have liked them. Praise God that we haven't got any snakes in New Zealand. <laughs> when I grew up, we had a few snakes around. Uh, I grew up on the sawmill, and and snakes are kind of given to lay eggs in warm places. And I don't know if anybody knows about sawdust. Uh, builders will know that if you put a pile of sawdust anywhere, it kind of, after a while, it starts sort of brewing in there, and it gets really warm. And, uh, and these snakes lay the uh, uh, eggs into these uh, in in the barn and the sawdust. And then my mother used to say that sometimes if she didn't get to it beforehand and sort of dig everything over and and sort of Clean out all the eggs. There's all of these little snakes coming out in the certain time of the year, and they all just start moving, and they're, they're just horrible things. Uh, but you know, in terms of spiritually speaking, a snake, a serpent, is like the like the picture of, of of evil and of sin, and of course, Satan is called a serpent, and that's what threw me. It's like what, serpent, Satan, and it just somehow, it just it's just, I, I, I like to understand things. I need to understand things in order that I can operate in it. If everything is always, just always hazy, I just can't operate in it. So I need to get revelation. So kind of working my way through this thing and I'm listening to preaching. I'm reading the word, I'm studying. And I, I don't mean just now, but as I say, when I first became a Christian and I, and I heard preaching on all of these things and I'm trying to get my head around this whole thing. Is How is that possible? And absolutely, Jesus Christ compared himself with the very epitome of, of sin uh, that was put on that pole and lifted up. And he says, I'm going to be lifted up in the same way. So, so not only did God make Jesus carry all of our sins, and he did, but God ran a step further, and he made Jesus Christ to be sin for us, sin for us, sin on our behalf. It says because of what Christ has done. So that's the whole deal there, where all the sins of mankind were laid on Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin for us, and then in turn, turn, God took Jesus' righteousness and laid it on us. And there was like this swap that took place. That's why I said it's the biggest transaction of all times. Just huge. Absolutely huge. Let me read the same passage out of the Woost uh, translation. Kenneth Woost, just a great translation. He, he says, He who did not know sin in an experiential way. Speaking of Christ, Jesus knew sin. He had seen sin around him when he grew up. He would have seen it in his family. He would have seen it in his friends and his neighbors. He's seen sin, all right, but he didn't know it in an experiential way because he had no sin. Bible says that he is the sinless Lamb of God. So he did not know sin in an experiential way. He says on behalf of us and instead of us, was made the representative of sin in order that is for us, we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus was made the representative of sin. As there only been one, and that was Christ. He became sin for us. And the word sin there, if we were to take a dictionary and kind of drill down and say, what exactly does all of that mean? Sin, singular, sin. That sin there is, the, is the, the, the complex or the aggregate, the totality of sin, both past, present, and future of any single person that has ever lived or will live, or of all humanity, that has lived in the past, lives now, and that will live in the future. God's bundled the whole thing together. Packed it all down tightly and not only put it on Jesus, but as it were, kind of stuffed it into him. If you allow me to use that expression. And here's Jesus on the cross. Become the very epitome of evil. And in the Living Bible, same verse, it says, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins poured into him <laughs> don 't particularly have to have a a picture, but you know if I wanted to pour anything into a bottle, I 'd take a funnel and and just pour whatever I want to put into the bottle into the funnel, and it all ends up inside the bottle and you know somehow God took all the 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 aggregate the totality of sin, and put it all into Jesus. And here he is hanging on the cross. Sin laden on him on the outside, and if you like, stuffed full of sin on the inside, he became the very epitome of evil, of sin. So he put into him our sin, then in exchange... In exchange, because it doesn't stop there. It's all, God's going somewhere with this. In exchange, he says, he poured God's goodness into us. <laughs> In exchange. See, the biggest transaction that took place, uh, took like, place like right there. God took our sin, placed it on Jesus. God took Jesus' righteousness and placed it on us and put it into us. It's kind of that sort of reverse sort of a deal going on. You see, the cross is the place and it's the tool of the big exchange. Where God swapped our sins for Jesus's righteousness. And in God's word, and I told you we wasn't going to move on in a hurry from this verse here, because this is like, this is like a big deal. In God's word, this is basically just a modern translation. Um, It says, God had Christ, who was sinless, take our sin so that we might receive God's approval through him. And many Christians are trying to earn God's approval. This This is the thing. They're trying to earn, if I can only... Be good enough. If I can only, you know, not break the Ten Commandments. If I can only, you know, work and do this and do that, and then God will approve of me. But you and I are approved before God not because of what we do. We are approved by God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Approval with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, and this is again in the Living Bible, it says there is salvation in no one else. Everybody say, no one else. No one else, no one else, no one else. else. People say, well, what about, you know, what about Buddha and what about Muhammad and, and what about Confucius and what about so and so and what about so and so what about the Bible says there is there is salvation in no one else No one else Under all heaven there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. There's only one name that we can call on to get saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. That's why when we come together, we want to praise him and lift him up. That's why when we're by ourselves, we don't need to be with other people. We still praise him. <laughs> okay, so whether we're alone or together, we praise him because it is through his name that we have salvation. And only through his name. Because no one else has carried the sins of mankind except Jesus. Isaiah 64, verse 4, it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. You know, righteousness means right standing with God. It's being right with God. Sometimes people say, why don't you get right with God? Well, you can only get right with God through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you know, it's like in, you know, we're not sort of negating the need to to repent of sin and you know if we if we sin and so forth and we come to God and we repent and we ask him to forgive us to be made right with God all over again, but to get right with God in the first instance is only possible through Jesus Christ because our own righteousness is like filthy rags you know the bible speaks of uh, of the robe of righteousness it's kind of a figurative uh, Language to, to kind of say that, you know, to get to heaven, we've got to have the right, the right clothing on, so to speak. And this is not, not about playing dress up or anything, but it's having the right clothing on. And the Bible speaks of the robe of righteousness. So if we've been made righteous, we, in a sense, have that robe of righteousness on. And when we arrive at the pearly gate, so to speak, if we got the right clothing on, we are made righteous, then, then we have access. If we try to arrive at the pearly gates, whatever that means, you know, <laughs> people talk about the pearly gates, arrive there in our own righteousness, rejected because we haven't got the right clothing on. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags, at best. <laughs> I mean, really filthy rags. No matter how much we pretty ourselves up on the outside, we'd fall far short of the standard that God requires. And the standard that God requires and to bring us up to that could only come from Him, never from us. See, righteousness is a gift. It cannot be earned bought, or inherited from one's parents. You know, sometimes young people, they do try to ride on their parents' coattails, so to speak, as far as faith is concerned. But ultimately, every man has to receive salvation for himself. Every man has to get born again for himself or herself. So righteousness is a gift. I bought myself a Father's Day gift the other day. It's quite funny, actually. (laughs) One of the... Local petrol stations are doing a promotion like you buy one coffee mug, um, and, uh, and I've been wanting one of those for a while, and, and then for a whole week you get free coffee, and if it's about free coffee, uh, I never say no. <laughs> now, of course, uh, the reality is that I've already paid for it. You know, it's free coffee, but I've already paid for it because, uh, you know, the, you, you, you pay for for the mug and then uh, come Father's Day, which is today, in fact, I'll be up there shortly to get my cup of coffee. <laughs> but here's the funny part. Here's the funny part. I went in to buy my coffee and I thought, well, I don't want to wait until Father's Day to put some coffee in there. So I said, look, I said, I'd like to have a flat white and would you be happy to wash that cup out for me and put the coffee like right in there? Yeah, no worries. We'll do that for you. So away the dear lady went. And she washed the cup for me, and, and uh, on the handle there is a kind of a Father's Day card. And she says, Oh, do you, do you, do you, want, you want the Father's Day card or you want me to throw it away? I says, No, no, I need that. Oh, I need that. I says, That might be the only Father's Day card that I'll get. <laughs> and she says, Oh, you want me to sign it for you? <laughs> you know, Pete, it's not hard to get people to feel sorry for you. If you want to. <laughs> I didn't want her to feel sorry for me, but i was <laughs> just having fun. But <laughs> oh, you want me to sign it for you? you said, no, no, it's okay. Just I'll take it as it is. <laughs> I still got it in my car. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Who knows with the family meeting that we had on, nobody thought about Father's Day. It's just all about the, all about my daughter's reading. So. Anyway, but I got my Father's Day card. I'm okay. And I got my present. I pay for it myself. <laughs> and I'm getting free coffee. <laughs> coffee is a gift, <laughs> which I've actually already paid for. <laughs> you know, I'm sort of... <laughs> I'm trying to tell you that sometimes people say, well, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know that, uh, that uh, you know, that Jesus died for me, but people try to pay their way into God's favor. People still do that. Just like It's just like we've been conditioned. <laughs> you know, conditioned. <laughs> and people... You know, the whole commercial world, they lure us, and I'm not talking about the coffee mug now, I'm talking in the general sense. You know, people say, you know, buy the, here and buy there, and you know, we give you this free, and we give you that free. There's not such a thing as a free lunch. Somebody's got to have to pay for it somewhere, and most often it's we ourselves are paying for it in this item so we can get that item. It's just an interesting world. Praise God. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I'm a very happy man, okay? (laughs) I'm a very happy father. (laughs) Nobody feels feel sorry for me. But if you wanted to, it's not hard. not hard to get people to feel sorry for you. So salvation, Um, righteousness, the gift of right standing with God can only be received by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is an intangible thing. Like you can't sort of touch it. Faith will produce tangible things, but faith itself is intangible. It's like when I say intangible, it's like you can't you can't see it. You know, you can't see electricity, but 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 it's there. And electricity is a power, and it'll produce things. But you know, when people Approach God, you know, for salvation. They want to do something tangible. It's like, if I can only, you know, if I can only work hard, and God will see me, and God will like me. God doesn't like you or me because of our work. God likes us because he looks at us through Jesus Christ. And he loves us because he loves Jesus Christ, and we are in Christ, so he loves us because we are in Christ. Romans 10, verse 1, right through to verse 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Here's Paul the apostle. He was a Jew himself. Uh, and he says, I'm, I really want my people, the Jewish people, to be saved, which right there automatically tells us the people are not automatically saved. All right? There's no such thing as automatic salvation. There's no such thing as universal salvation. I know that sometimes people preach sort of a lie called universalism that ultimately everybody will end up in heaven. After all, all, we're all children of God. Well, that's not true. We've all been created by God, but we don't become a child of God until we surrender our life to God and receive Jesus as personal Lord and Savior of our lives. He goes on to say in verse 2, I know that they have enthusiasm for God, but it is a misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. They don't understand it. And you know, people don't understand it until they hear the gospel preached. Because the gospel in itself is is the message and the very plan of God's salvation to get people right with him. And it's got to be on his terms. It can't be on our terms. We can't figure out some means of saying, oh, if we can only do this, this, and this, God will accept us. It's a plan that comes from God. All right? He says, they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. And of course, the law, the law of Moses, um, was the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and regulations, try to keep those meticulously so that only so that God would only accept us. So they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. And let me tell you, the Jews of old sum up the mentality or the mentality of the Jews of old, sums up the mentality of most people alive today. They're ignorant of God's way of making people right with himself, and they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law, trying to keep, keep the Ten Commandments. And it's good if people try to keep the Ten Commandments so that you know, if they don't steal, it means that society you know, is a better society. If there's no crime, no, no stealing, no murdering, it's a good thing. And, 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 and people should do that, but not, it doesn't get people right with God. It gets them a best right with us, <laughs> okay? For Christ, verse four, has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. All who believe, all who have faith in Him are made right with God. And, you know, sometimes it's not uncommon when you talk to people, and say, well, you know, of course I go to heaven. I mean, I haven't done, you know, I haven't done any terrible things, you know, murdered nobody, robbed no banks, and, and you know, I haven't beaten anybody up. And, and I did once, and I said sorry. And, you know, so so it's like it's all about what they themselves have done, which is, really trying to establish their own righteousness before God, which the Bible tells us is like filthy rags at best. So people don't understand, and people cling to their own way. And you know, the Ten Commandments, one of the biggest things that you and I need to understand about the law, about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were never given to make people righteous. The Ten Commandments don't have the power to make people righteous. The Ten Commandments don't have the capacity to put on robes of righteousness on us. They were never given for that purpose. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, no one is put right in God's sight by doing what the law requires. No one. What the law does is to make people know that they have sinned. So, after it's all said and done, the law that, you know, say the Ten Commandments that God chiseled in stone tablets that Moses carried down from the mountain and in a fit of rage smashed them to pieces. So, you had to go and get another set. <laughs> Are coming down. Two tablets of stone, the, the Ten Commandments. They were never given to make people righteous. They were given so that they would be a mirror, and God says, "Look at yourself in the mirror and see how sinful you really are." You think you're doing well. You think you're you're trying to establish your own righteousness. God says, "Here is my standard, and you can never, never attain to my standard by yourself." It works all around 360 degree. <laughs> okay. What the law does is to make people know how they have sinned. It's Dr. Theo warmer and so sort of, here's a good example there. He says uh, he says, the law is a bit like a mirror. And he says, if a man hasn't shaved in some days, and he goes and looks in the mirror, says, so, Oh gosh, I, I'm 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 all scruffy looking, you know. I'm and I'm not suggesting for those of you men that are not shaving that you're scruffy looking, I'm just sort of using all of that as an example. <laughs> he says, Oh gosh, I need to need to go and have a shave. And then it's like Trying to, people try the law to make them righteous. It's like people then trying to take the mirror and use the mirror for shaving themselves. The mirror doesn't shave you. You've got to find a shaver to shave yourself. And I think that's a good example because people get mixed up. People get mixed up. The law is like the mirror that points out the problem. But it can only point the problem out. It can never fix it. Can't fix it. the problem can't be fixed with the law. Doesn't have the power to fix it. Only Jesus Christ could fix the problem. Only God could fix it by laying all the sin on him and taking his righteousness and placing it on us. And you know people that have not received the gift of righteousness It's like the gift is hanging in the air, just like right there. But they've never received it because righteousness is not received until we receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. We receive the person and we receive the gift. We reject the person, we are rejecting the gift, though it hangs like right there. Everybody on the face of the earth, people either have righteousness on the inside or it just hangs like right there. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16, and oh gosh, Paul was strong on that. Oh, Paul Paul the Pharisee. Paul was the, the, the Jew of all the Jews. He was like a Pharisee. They were like the, like the, the most meticulous law keepers, the pious law keepers of all times. Interestingly, that these are the people that Jesus had the most trouble with, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people. Jesus didn't have a problem with the people in the street, with the sinners, the, you know, the tax collectors that rip people off, the prostitutes. Jesus didn't have a no problem with them. He had a problem with the religious people because they saw themselves so righteous because they were keeping all the laws just meticulously Jesus says, you guys, he says, you, he says you, you, you put on fancy clothing. He says, you tithe even your mint leaves and your cumin leaves, like even out of your herb garden, you pick 10 leaves and you carry nine into the kitchen to do cooking with you, and you take one, one leaf down to the church and pay it into the offering plate. He says, you are just so meticulous. He says, but you have passed over the weightier matters of the law, such as love and justice and mercy. He says, you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus used very strong language against the religious people. And what he didn't like it was that not, not only did they impose that, that thing on themselves to a certain level, it was all, all external, but they imposed those laws on other people and made other people struggle under the laws and struggle, struggle, tr- struggle, trying to be good enough with God, and then, and then say, oh, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You've broken the laws. And, and because they didn't think there were enough laws, they made up new laws. You know, it's been said that in the Old Testament, there are 613 laws. And then the Jews, you know, the, the lawyers, the experts of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they turn them into 2,500 laws. Just expanded on them. We haven't got enough law. We need to think of new ones. <laughs> Amazing. So, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is put right with God only, everybody say only, Amen. only through faith in Jesus Christ. Never. Everybody say never. Never. Never by doing what the law requires. This is very, very plain. When I started to read this, it's a a young, newly born again, Catholic boy who had been brought up with the Ten Commandments. And the priest, we had him in church and we had him in school, and he was one of those guys. Like, (laughs) just... Always on about the Ten Commandments, and I just, I it, that just blew me away. That just blew me away. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Here's me trying to keep the Ten Commandments, and oh, I hope only God will accept me, and then t- t- going to confession. <laughs> How many Catholics do we have in here, praise God, doing our confession and, you know, doing all this stuff and and walking away, and, you know, it's all good, you know. I mean, it's, you know, the Bible says, confess confess your faults one to another, that, that you may be healed. It's good to acknowledge that we've done wrong before people. I was talking to my mother about all of this, and she says, oh, I don't need to go and confess no sin to the priest. She says, I go straight to Jesus. I mean, she said that I knew she was born again. (laughs) I just knew right there, like, she's born again. (laughs) Hallelujah, Jesus. So only through faith in Jesus Christ, never by doing what the law requires, we too have believed in Christ in order to be put right with God through our faith and not by what the law requires. And just to make sure we get it, Paul's putting in another plug, and right at the end he says, "For no one is put right with God by doing what the law requires. No one. No one." So we'll wrap up very shortly. Uh, but let me just let me just affirm again that because of our faith in Jesus Christ and in His sacrificial death on the cross, we are number one. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Praise God to be forgiven. <laughs> I lived a lot of a lot of days guilty when I was a young boy, <laughs> like just guilty, guilty, guilty. And that's what the law does. You try to measure up and the law says guilty, guilty, guilty. Just shows you how sinful you really are. Guilty, guilty, guilty. But when we receive Jesus, It's forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Uh, Just to be able to walk around and say, wow, how good it feels to be forgiven. To not have that cloud of the law, cloud of condemnation, cloud of, you know, hanging over you all the time. (laughs) Colossians 1.14 says, because of what the Son has done, We have been set free. Because of him, our sins have been forgiven. It's because of him. Because of what he has done. There's salvation in none other, the Bible says. There's no other name under heaven. We read it before, was it? Acts chapter 4, verse 10, verse 12. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So until a person accepts, Accept Jesus Christ, the gift of righteousness is like there. It's it's like God threw it in our direction, but it's never fully landed. It's never fully kind of landed on us, and it doesn't fully land until we receive Jesus. Receive Jesus, you get the gift of righteousness. Reject Jesus, you're rejecting the gift of righteousness. Number two, we are accepted by God. And this is probably one of the bigger ones for me. I knew when I was forgiven, when I prayed the prayer and I came into this understanding uh, of that coming out of that whole religiosity and, and what have you. And uh, in the end walking away because it could never, you know, never be good enough. And, um, and I got born again and I was forgiven. But then it's that whole aspect of being accepted by God. That's a big one. A lot of Christians struggle. A lot of Christians think, you know, like it's a typical scenario. A person gets born again. He's on fire for God, you know, Sunday, like, wow, this is like, you know, we need to just get the whole world saved here. This is wonderful. And people go out, and they're still doing okay on Monday, and on Tuesday, they rain a little bit, and on Wednesday, they fall flat on their face, so to speak, they do something wrong, and they think they've failed God, and they think God's rejected them again. Why? Because they've been brought up in a performance-type environment to perform right, to be accepted, and don't perform right, you're rejected. And they transfer that understanding, wrong understanding, over to God. And God thinks that He rejects us when we fail. But you know, God doesn't reject us. God knows that we've got problems and issues. And and you know it takes a while for people, you know, when people get saved, God says He takes them out, He takes them out of the out of the out of the world, out of the kingdom of darkness, and 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 places us into the kingdom of His dear Son. But it takes, it takes a while to get the kingdom of darkness out of us. It's like to get sort of Egypt thinking out of us the world's thinking, the world's practices, the, the world's way of speaking. You know, it's been said that when Moses led the people out of Egypt, he got them out of Egypt, all right, but he never got Egypt out of them. They had a slave mentality. They're mourning and complaining. There's all of this stuff. And so he got him out physically, uh, but somehow he never got Egypt out of them. And sometimes it's like that with Christians. People, the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of it. But there's still that worldly thinking there. There's still that old way of thinking. That's why the mind needs to be renewed. And even right now, as the teaching and the preaching of God's word takes place, there's a renewal of the mind. It renews our way of thinking and brings us into the way that God thinks rather than, you know, the opposite. Ephesians 1, 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. We can only be accepted in the Beloved. And we're only accepted by God's grace, not because of what we have done. And then finally, it says we have, we have access to the full blessing of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Awesome. You know, here in Ephesians 1 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Say, every spiritual blessing. Not just some spiritual blessing, but He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You read the Bible, and any blessing that you read, any promise, it's yours. Bible says in, is it in, Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-one? It says, it says, all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and amen. All the promises. So it means all the Old Testament promises that were there, all the New Testament promises, all the promises of God are yes and are amen. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, sometimes when you pray, God, God, will say, God will say yes or no or wait a while. In fact, I have one of my study Bibles. I can take you to the very page where the these sort of the people that have Written the study notes. That's exactly what they've said. You know, you think, oh yeah, well that sounds reasonable. Might be that's what we're used to in the world. But the Bible says that in Christ, all the promises are yes and amen. Not yes and no and wait a while, but yes, yes. Why we haven't earned it anyway? It's because of what Christ has done for us. So let's get smiling. Let's get happy. Okay. How many happy people do we have in here this morning? (laughs) Praise God. So I blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. When you're born again, you are united with Christ. You know, the Bible says that God causes, uh, He makes His Son to rise on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. And there are certain blessings that everybody participates in, certain blessings. But to get the full blessing, you've got to receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Not possible outside of that. To get the full deal, to get the full package, in terms of the gift of righteousness and everything along with it, it's only possible through Jesus Christ. And here in, in John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, and is the last verse I'm going to read, he says that Jesus came into the world that was his own, but his own did not accept him. We've already said before that uh, they, they just carried on to their rule-keeping, by and large. But verse 12 says, But to all who accepted him and believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who accepted Him and who believe in Him. What does it mean to accept Him? It means we accept Him, we receive Him as our personal Lord and Savior. Many of you have done this. And some of you have done this and you have received Him, but you're still struggling. You're trying to earn favor with God. And... and. We have the favor of God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we do. Yes, we live right, and yes, we make an effort to to live a life that pleases God, but favor ultimately comes because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross.